Blog Talk Radio.
welcome to Africa on the Move. I'm Haiki, sitting in for Brother Africa. Uh, Brother Africa will be, we'll be returning next week. But in any event, I'm here with my, my panelists, and we're going to have a, a very uh, instructive discussion tonight around various issues pertaining to the plight of, you know, oppressed people, you know, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. But prior to getting into our discussion, we're going to start with an opening statement from our panelists. We'll start first with Brother Anthony with an opening statement. Brother Anthony? Uh, thank you for having me, uh, uh, Haki, uh, and welcome uh, to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And we have this as our objective uh, because we believe that this is the ultimate solution to the problems facing Africans worldwide. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Following Brother Anthony, we got Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your opening statement. Thank you, thank you, Brother Haki, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear, I bear witness that women hold up half the sky, Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And the struggle continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few. We must overcome our petty petty differences and unite around a working-class struggle for socialism within the U.S. of A. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we have my young brother, Brother Sabukwe. Your opening statement, Brother Sabukwe. Greetings, revolutionary greetings. Uh, host, brother host, and, and fellow panelists, thank you so much. I'm happy to be back on Africa on the Move. Um, my name is Brother Maurice. I'm a member of the Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party, a supporter of Africa on the Move, AAPRPGC, and I'm definitely uh, a worker for the people. Thank you for having me here again here tonight. Uh, thank you for being on the panel, Brother Sabukwe. Next, we, do we have Sister Eleanor? Uh, do we have Sister Eleanor? Apparently not. Sister, Sister Eleanor, Eleanor apparently has been. I'm sorry? Uh, apparently she's under the weather. She's not on today. Okay, great. Okay, let's let's continue. Uh, normally, we're going to detour slightly from a normal format in terms of Africa on the Move. I want to read something to you, and I want to get each panelist's response, and we'll do this prior to what's happening in your community. But I thought that this particular piece was important in terms of the kind of um, uh, shaming that's taking place in the society, particularly with respect to employment. I think often we don't think about the real um, problems associated with achieving you know, employability in the society. So I thought this sort of piece would be 
be certainly uh, instrumental in terms of bringing out some discussion around this whole question in terms in terms of employment. But any of you panelists, I want you to listen to this. Now, Americans are increasingly less productive because workers don't want to work, according to some pundits. Now, according to H.L. Mencken, he once stated, the inevitability of people coming to the conclusion that the government they live under is dishonest, insane, and intolerable, end quote. Implicit in his summation is the cryptocratic tendencies of capitalist economies, which relies on deception for its longevity. One enormous deception holds that U.S. economic decline is the result of workers leaving their jobs or the sheer selfishness of workers who demand minimum wages in keeping with inflation. Workers, according to some pundits, clearly do not understand in a liberal democracy, individual rights supersedes any claims to equality under the law. The fact corporate profits have skyrocketed post-COVID-19, in large part due to stock buybacks and price gouging, does not mean corporations are compelled to share the profits with workers. Corporate position since the presidency of Ronald Reagan has been validating circumstances that negates uh, the possibility of fair wages and holding corporations accountable for exploitation in the labor market as unfair. Claims of technological changes rendering manual labor redundant is often touted by capitalists. This claim does not dismiss the important niche manufacturing jobs to play in living wages afforded workers without a college degree. As a source for high-paying jobs, the question has to be asked, why do corporations outsource jobs, or why did corporations outsource jobs starting in the 70s when jobs were so badly needed in the U.S. economy? According to General Electric CEO Jack Welch, quote, public corporations who receive taxpayer dollars owe their allegiance to stockholders, not employees, end quote. Welch's words prove pathetic. By the year 2000, U.S. companies cut the U.S. labor force by close to 3 million jobs, but created 2.5 million jobs overseas. The implication was clear. Owing to individual rights, the right to pursue profit outweighs any consideration of rising unemployment in the U.S. and a devastation to the U.S. economy. Revenue shortfalls to the U.S. economy resulting, resulting from a declining tax base is a concrete indictment of the counterintuitive or nonsensical nature of capitalism and its tyrannical impulses. Right-wing economics were called upon to validate corporate-sponsored unemployment. Methods employed would see manipulation of unemployment statistics using statistical models to undercut, uncount un unemployment, making it appear as unemployment is negligible. When this strategy came under additional scrutiny, a new strategy was implementing involving the use of charts. Charts are considered more intricate, more difficult to dissect. As, profits, as pundits argued over the interpretation of graphs, the underlying strategy of confusing the populace why unemployment persists in a welfare economy on Earth prevailed. Typically, many charts would conflate unemployment statistics with total employment as a percent of unemployment, leaving the impression unemployment is overstated. And viewing the unemployed numbers in absolute terms, unemployment is cast in a new light. Manufacturing unemployment over a 28-year period, 1970 to 1998, decreased by 4.4%. From 1998 to 2007, manufacturing lost 4 million jobs, a 22% increase in job loss. This figure is exacerbated by the, by the loss of 2 million jobs in 2008 during the subprime debacle. Now, adverse impact on the U.S. Productivity, productivity stemming from corporate decisions have a snowfall, snowball effect. Impacts on traded deficits resonate, resonate to, the, to the same. Outsourcing jobs abroad may be lucrative for the wealthy, 
but the harm inflicted on the poor has been considerable. Trade deficits abound precisely because production and use has declined. This decline is directly a result of unemployment created by corporations in pursuit of lower labor costs abroad. Ironically, the outsourcing of the job has contributed to lower wages in the U.S. and contributes to high levels of unemployment, which partly explains import-export deficits. Little wonder the U.S. imports more than it exports. Interestingly, exports implies infrastructure and employees must exist to produce products for sale. What happens when the corporate state dismantles the infrastructure or discards workers and is expected to compete in business, in, in business commerce, it can't. Trade deficits ensue. The consequences of not competing commercially is profitable for investors and corporate CEOs in that lack of corporate governance allows corporations to, to prioritize the bottom line, but does nothing to ensure employment for the U.S. population or a functioning economy for the majority. In fact, corporate control of political systems not only disadvantages opportunity for employment, but has been the catalyst behind policies ensuring the disconnect between corporate productivity and pay. Since 1948 to 1970s, ratio of productivity gains to pay was, was symmetrical, but changed st- starting in late 1970s. Labor would no longer enjoy the fruits of their labor. By 2021, corporate productivity gains reached near 63%, while wages increased only a paltry 15%, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Productivity gains created by labor are systematically distributed to shareholders and CEOs in the form of higher profits, while labor while labor's <coughs> wages continue to decline. In other words, the more wealth they create, the more the wealth is given to those other than the people who create the wealth, which is the workers. Perpetuation of this financial theft or continuation of this productivity scam is augmented by employing fewer people to work longer hours, typically 10 to 12 hour shifts removing any possibility of employing needed additional labor, only compounding the trade deficit. Trade deficits were only, personif- were only personified U.S. economic weakness given rise to authoritarian strongmen and fascist right-wing organizations. Currently, the U.S. trade deficit lies in excess of $1.9 trillion barring trade and authorized sanctions. And these deficits, aside from corporate price manipulations, are increasing commodity prices and, in the process, Elevated vulnerability among the populace. Such vulnerabilities are particularly precarious for families without an employed adult present. Often, the Bureau of Labor and Census Department would employ statistical models like YouTube that would classify individuals who lost their jobs or completed a temporary job as fully employed. Despite this revelation, right wing pundits are all too willing to blame unemployment on the poor. Are willing to acknowledge the immoral excesses of capitalism, the poor become convenient scapegoats. Once as pundit, uh, Joe Currian of Scorebox strongly advocates the Federal Reserve increase interest rates to 4%. Of course, increasing interest rates would not only slow the economy, but worsen unemployment as the cost of borrowing becomes too expensive for employers. Does a 4% increase resonate with Federal Reserve members? Most take the position inflation must be contained. Inflation, many intimate, is a result of workers earning too much money, all 76 million hourly employed workers. The notion being increased interest rates will decrease their wages further. Despite record corporate profits and stagnant wages over 40 years, this fixation on decreasing workers' wages strikes me as misplaced, particularly during the time of recession. Attacks on employment not only underscores what little value is placed on labor by corporations, 
but the fact wealth can be obtained by the wealthy without producing anything should be a concern for us all. If labor are viewed as esoteric, then we all are devalued. If people don't have a, a, the right to employment, what does that say about the state of humanity, particularly in the United States? And I close with that, and I'll start with Brother Anthony. My question to you, Brother Anthony, is a very simple question. Should people have a right to employment? Yes, they should. And, uh, and I want to point out uh, that there is an, a deliberate undercount of, uh, uh, of the number of unemployed people. And a, a, a lot of people that, uh, that, that, you know, that look at news and read unemployment stats don't realize this. But only open unemployment claims are counted in the number of unemployed people. In other words, say... Uh, to say, uh, you know, uh, the number of uh, open unemployment claims in uh, in in, uh, in 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 uh, city uh, X is uh, one thousand, but those are are newly unemployed open unemployment claims. It does not include. Uh, unemployment claims that expire within six months after they're opened. So if uh, if you have the misfortune of not finding an uh, employment within that six months time frame, uh, you basically don't exist. And uh, as far as unemployment statistics are concerned. And uh, so this is one of the devious ways they undercount the number of people that are unemployed. And also uh, unemployment stats do not include people that are uh, temporarily or only part-time employed. And uh, uh, let's see, that counts as, uh, uh, you know, even if you're working part-time or only temporarily, you're considered employed. So uh, so it doesn't account, uh, account for underemployment. So, uh, so uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the employment stats that are reported by the media are very misleading in that regard. It's actually a lot worse than the, than, than, than the way it's pictured. And uh, all, uh, all adults should have, uh, sh should have the right to work. Otherwise, uh, uh, otherwise people cannot be self-supporting and uh you know that uh that undermines not only their self esteem but mental health and physical health ultimately. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Uh let me go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, do people have inherent right for to to uh, have employment? 
Certainly, certainly. That's a socialist demand, though. Um, that's not a capitalist right. Um, under the capitalist system, there is no right to un- to, to employment. Uh, there's there is just um, what the capitalists need for workers, and when when they have sufficed their profit-driven needs, you know, everybody else is left unemployment or reserve army of labor for the next time they need some workers. Uh, and um, but it's a social demand for just like free education and free health care, um, a social demands or those kind of rights. Um, the right to health care and the right to to work is is a is not a it's not seen as a, 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 a capitalist right uh, because they 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 don't want to employ anybody who's not profitable and so we don't want higher wages for the wage slave that's not the goal the goal is the end to the wage slave system itself. And we need to replace it with a socialist economy, a revolutionary economy, economy that is politicized and and highly active in terms of solving the problems that humanity faces. And so this is our goal. And uh, anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Well, thank you, Brother Moses. Uh, Brother Sabukwe, you know, one of the things in terms of, you know, when we talk about this question in terms of unemployment, it's very interesting. Uh, both Brother Anthony and Brother Moses alluded to the, the psychological and physical impacts in terms of not being employed. But aside from the psychological and physical impacts in terms of not being in, in, in being unemployed, what what other downside is, is there to people not having employment? Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, uh, Brother Haki. And I just want to elaborate and, and, and get to the to the answer. So. When you ask the question, does work, uh, workers have the right to be employed? I, I, I would, I would, I would go farther than that and say workers have the right to own the means and the modes of production, and to own the surplus, which is the, which is the uh, capitalists, capitalists or the uh, owners, the current owners, the private owners, the, the the exploiters who own the surplus. They use that surplus, as Kwame, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah stated. Um, that they take that surplus, transform it to finance capital, which is paid to neo-colonialists to continue to uh, oppress the people. So, you know, that's one of the other the other uh, t- struggles or the other uh, outcomes when, you know, when we don't, um, not only not employed, but like I said, when we don't own the means and modes of, of production. See, without without the people, without workers, Without the workers having the skill to make and you know use these uh, machines and tools of production, production is, po- is, is 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 impossible. If you don't have uh, work, you know, don't if you don't have workers, you know. But at the same time, this this, this exploitations, man. When they when they when they made that quote quote, um, you stated earlier that workers don't want to work. No, nah, man, we don't want them to be exploited. You know, um, but this is this is what the economic structure is built on, this exploitation, uh, this this capitalist nature of, what, of, of what's going on. We had over 10, uh, and there's kids down all over the world, but it, the school has not, here in Richmond City where I'm at, school has not been in, been in session for, for less, no less, no, 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 no more than two months, less than two months. School has been in session. Already, we had ten to twelve 
kids murdered or in, in, in or or killing somebody. You see what I'm saying? And this nature of when you say employment, if deployment, if employment was high, maybe this is one of the one of the uh, solutions to challenge this or to tackle this uh, or counteract this, this this ongoing violence among our youth. Again, they're getting younger and younger with guns and killing and indulging in in in, in uh, you know uh, drugs or what what have you because the house the the family structure is broken. And when there's no, you know, when you got kids feel like they got to go to work or they got to go steal and kill and rob to fulfill their family structure because they don't want to see their mom uh, struggle or, or, or their mother cannot bring in or their parent cannot bring in uh, the, the means, the, the, the resources that they need to bat or, or what, ha- what have you. This is what we're dealing with. So this, this is a, um, this is a sick system what we're dealing with. And, uh, you know, as we say on this show from time to time, you know, more than ever, man, we we getting closer and closer to our own demise if we don't, you know, organize urgently. That, but thank you for the important question. Uh, thank you, Brother Sabukwe. You know, in keeping with something Brother Sabukwe said, when he alluded to the fact that, you know, when you internalize this hopelessness and, and often it manifests itself in very destructive ways, but on the flip side of that, there's something that Brother Robert said was I thought very, very interesting, and that is this. You know, one of the things when we talk about everybody should have a right to have, you know, have a job, the problem is that as an employee, I can't make any profit if everybody got a job, so why would I jeopardize my interests for the interests of others? Brother Anthony, your response. Yeah, uh, that attitude comes from the individualism that's pushed in capitalist society. And that uh and that the thing about it though, if um you know, if people were imbued with a revolutionary ideology that places the collective over the needs of the individual, then people would have a, 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 a different attitude. The reason why people have that ad, uh, that attitude is because in capitalist society, the interest of the visual individual is emphasized over that of the collective. And that uh, it's all for me. I don't give a damn about everybody else. And uh, that's the attitude that's uh, uh, encouraged and imbued in capitalist society, unlike socialist societies. Okay, thank you, Brother, Brother Anthony. Let me go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, you know, money makes the world go round. So the more you have of it, the more you have the less complicated life can be. So what's wrong with me trying to accumulate lots and lots of wealth in terms of avoid the, the, the pain associated with not having wealth? What's wrong with that? First of all, we need, we need people, stone-cold, sober revolutionaries guided by great feelings of love for the people and uh, with a revolutionary theory and a revolutionary outlook that says altruism, um, empathy and compassion are things that that uh, that we cherish, and so you know the the whole approach to society is 
it's permeated on, on it, it, today anyway, on profit and I'm on uh, advance of getting more. Uh, uh, anything you do, you want to you want to derive some kind of benefit out of it for yourself. And so, you know, as the brother said, um, we need control of the means of production. Um, once the working class has control of the means of production, they can end this wage slave system and and create a new society based on revolutionary outlook and a revolutionary, very uh, position, a revolutionary spirit of of um, cooperation and 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 um, trying to create an equitable society, a, a just society, and uh, and. When there's natural disasters, we mobilize people. There's there's work always work to be done, uh, um, but it takes a highly politicized community to to do that. And um, right now we're 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 under capitalism, and we, you know it, it, you can't expect the individual capitalist to to um, overcome the whole system by somehow hiring a bunch of people that he can't, he, that he won't profit from or they won't profit from or something that's not going to happen on an individual level like that. Um, we're into the, we need the control of the means of production. That's the, the scientific socialism is when the working class has control of the means of production. It's a revolutionary position that can't be voted in. Uh, it takes a revolution to create because it takes a whole conscious political consciousness of the people that has to be be um, at a high level. And uh, some things, is, we have objective conditions, right? Uh, the society is highly socialized. There's, there's a lot of socialized um, production going on, but the appropriation is still private. And um, and so it's a subjective factor, the 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 factor of, of people and how they see the world, which is and it's primarily responsibility of a of a party, of a class conscious party, to imbue the people with consciousness, so that they will begin um, struggling for socialism and um, scientific socialism, revolutionary socialism, and uh, but it's a process and it doesn't happen overnight, and so. It's possible to do more than one thing at one time. Uh, um, that's what a lot of people feel like they can't. They can't vote. They can't do this, and they can't do that because it's gonna, somehow it's going to distract from the other movement. Um, but anyway, I think you know we got a long ways to go. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, brother Moses. Uh, you know, brother Sabukwe, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat confused. I'm somewhat confounded. You know, one of the things that when you look at there's been reports about um, certain members, high-ranking members of Black Lives Matter, other leading individuals on the left who acquire large properties. Uh, uh, apparently, one would assume that acquiring these large properties or taking these funds, which are not earmarked for large properties, they do so simply because it enhances their status. Now, in the question in terms of status rings big in a capitalist society. What can we do to get people to understand that status leads to unfortunate destruction, not only to the individual, to society itself? What can we do to improve people's understanding in terms of the necessity, in terms of principle stand when it comes to uh, the inner workings of capitalism? 
Right, right. Uh, great question, Brother Haki. And uh, Brother uh, Anthony alluded to this and said said that the overall I- issue is you basically we got to understand how individualism works and how indivi- indivi- individualism is an ill to our people. Um, now, I'm not saying our people are ignorant uh, to people selling out their people. We, we, uh, you know, we on the ground. And, and the masses of people, they understand, we understand clearly, uh, you know, uh, people selling us out. But I don't. I, I think we need to dive a little bit into it because once either of us, um, not all of us, but once some of us get that opportunity to sell out our people, we forget that, we, you know, we, 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 we get uh, amnesia. I feel like, uh, we, you know, we, we, you know, some of us are on the front lines. Uh, in the struggle itself, we in the, we we involved in the struggle. We um calling out people for selling out their people, but once some of us get the opportunity to sell out our people, we do it. And they, I don't understand that. We uh, that's why I'm saying that at a, at a, at a, at the at the grassroots level or at the at the le- the masses of people, we got to learn and understand individualism. We have to be in, in study groups to have uh of contradictions so we can um. And self contradiction, so we can evaluate the actions of people. Not only what 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 we say and, and what we theorize, but what we what what our actions show. What are we doing? We need to have we need to be in those type of uh, uh, organization. That's why we always uh, explain it: organize, organize, organize. Be in a part of a group. This good too. It takes two people with a book to have a study group. You know, you have that study group. You can have your you know your. Uh, Another word for checks and balances that that that, that stuff um, those contradictions that that evaluations, um, uh, not contradictions but uh, uh, criticisms. I'm sorry that you can you can evaluate one's actions and hold each other accountable so we won't sell out our people um, uh, when we get get those opportunities. I mean it's 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 it's, it's a it's an ongoing game going on all the time. We should notice like when you you know Malcolm spoke about it. Dr. King spoke about how he felt uh, guilty of accepting the Nobel Peace Prize. He felt like he was selling out his people. He say, he stated himself. He felt like he integrated his people into a burning building. Um, you know, because let me tell you something, man. These enemies, these capitalists, you know, they, they, would, use, they, they would come to um, the individual who has a, a, a following, you know, who has mass appeal, who has uh, popularity? It's easy to come to that one leader to to manipulate him, to turn to turn on his people, to assassinate him, to demote his character. That's why we need organization more than ever, man. Um, uh, individual. There's no Kwame Teresa said it best. There's no Superman uh, in the real world. That's only in Hollywood. There's no Superwoman in the real world. That is only in Hollywood. We are as a as a as a collective. We are the superpower. You understand what I'm saying? As a collective, we are the ones that can determine our determine our destiny. Um, not one person. If we can get out of that mindset and and and, and, and organize and and help and hold each other accountable and understand how individualism is a is a plague to our community, uh, we we can definitely definitely can uh prevent if you will overcome um having uh sellouts or turncoats within our community. So I hope I hope that answers the question, brother. Oh yeah, I got your brother Sabuque. So in other words, uh we've moved from unity to criticism to unity. 
and that's the way in which we move forward in terms of addressing this question of individualism. Now, let's first let's use the opportunity right now to go to uh, what's happening in your neck of the woods, what's happening in your community. And I'll start with Brother Anthony. Of course, this question in terms of what happens in the community is very, very important because it gives us a, a, a better understanding around the country what's taking place in terms of, you know, those kind of policies, those kind of laws that adversely impact your community. So we ask people to talk about what goes on in the community because it gives us a overall uh, preview, overall view in terms of what's happening around the country. And, of course, we'll start with Brother Anthony. And, Brother Anthony, can you tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods? Sure. Uh, let's see. Um, starting off with the uh, with an event that happened in uh, in Houston, Texas, recently. Uh, let's see. In um, uh, an African couple was uh, walking in the park in a in a local park in Houston. And uh, they saw a, a Negroes for sale sign, uh, and uh, they were uh, taken aback by it because um, apparently whoever posted the put the sign on the tree uh, ha- uh, you know had a sense of history because the the flyer was dated eighteen fifty five. And, uh, and, uh, let's see. And, uh, uh, the couple, uh, reported it, uh, uh, to, uh, to security and, uh, security took down, uh, uh, the flyer from the tree. But, uh, you know, it's significant that this took place in a predominantly African community in Houston, and uh, it's a sign uh, that uh, that racism is rife everywhere in the U.S. Uh, quietness is kept, and uh, you know the fact that, and I think there's a lot of confusion among, uh, among our youth. Uh, partly because uh, conditions have been created by our people primarily that uh, that you can socialize openly with Africans, can socialize with Europeans with uh, no problem. But uh, this, in the midst of all the racial animosity, creates a lot of confusion among our people. I want to move on to a couple of events that took place in other parts of the diaspora and at home. In uh, in Haiti and Burkina Faso, the Africans are calling for the Europeans to get out. Uh, they're getting fed up with the exploitation perpetrated by France. And uh, the demands of the masses of uh, uh, of the people in Haiti and uh, in Burkina Faso, which are both former French colonies, is that they do not want France, uh, you know, controlling them any longer. Okay. 
And they're trying to get out of uh, they're trying to get out of uh, from underneath French control. I need the TV. Okay. All right, great. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, that's a good question. Without you say with without information you can't think. Without organization you can't think clearly. And um I'm I'm I've been um we've been we had to postpone the um the event that was supposed to have been Friday, the past Friday the, the Metro, Metro Committee in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We were having a we were having a uh uh, a party basically to to raise funds, and um, anyway, somebody got COVID in the in the at the venue place, and so we had to cancel the whole meeting, and so that was a big blowback. Uh, uh, coming up, there's going to be the the National Network on Cuba will be uh, having uh, demonstrations in on this coming. Friday and Saturday, I believe, and uh, and then let's see if I get it right. Um, it's for it's for the vote the vote that's coming up on Cuba and normalization and you know the annual post that they do every year and it's always lopsided and um, so anyway there'll be demonstrations around that you can find out pretty much by by um, um, the, the, Looking up the National Network on Cuba, and uh, and uh, there will be information. Um, I um, I don't know the the Donald Trump situation is is developing. Um, um, uh, hopefully, the United Front against fascism will continue, and we will we will prosecute this this fascist and expose the 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 lies. For what they're worth, and um, so anyway, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brother Moses. Let's next. Let's go to Brother Sabukwe. Brother Sabukwe, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Yes, as we know, it's a lot that's going on in our neck of the woods. Uh, the first thing is an article was released today by the Atlanta Black Star uh, website about mass surveillance uh police are using and this is nothing new uh i, I believe we talked about it before on africa on the move police are using uh, dna to create digital images of suspects that haven't been, been identified um but the kick of the, the the kick of it is is targeting the article speaks that is targeting uh african people uh a canadian police department has received backlash after creating a computerized image of a suspect they never seen with DNA uh, phenotyping. Uh, DNA phenotyping predicts physical apparent appearance of biochemical char- characteristics from uh, for- forensic DNA samples found at a crime scene. The Edmonton Police Service in Alberta, Canada, Canada released an image of a rape suspect on October 4th using uh, this technology. However, uh, many have uh, voiced concerns that it could lead to the over-policing and unnecessary profiling of black men. So uh, this is something. This is something that uh, 
you know, that's 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 basically is, is receiving more attention uh, by the public. Um, the article also stated that pol- the police agency released the image produced by a Virginia-based Parabon Nano Labs, excuse me, in a statement on its social media pages before removing it two days later and issuing an apology. Now the image is basically a young, like a young black boy. They said the ancestry is East African, and they got the, you know, the age and all of this. And they got Africa uh, on a map of Africa on here. And they got the whole DNA, you know, background. Like you're getting a DNA, um, like you're doing an um, ancestry uh, DNA uh, uh, research. It's the type of profile that it has on this snapshot. Now, another thing that's going on in our neck of the woods is up in uh, Milwaukee. Uh, this came out uh, October 22nd. Yesterday, uh, protesters taken to the street in Milwaukee uh, after video has basically uh, went viral of a white man um, basically throttling or, or, or grabbing, gripping the, the uh, a neck of a, a 24-year-old, 24-year-old uh, brother with uh, African with special needs. He's, if you see the video, he's holding him like a dog or like a deer, like an animal. And basically, he was a legend, uh, our brother of stealing his bike. And the brother is like, you know, he's with, he's he has special needs. And he's saying that it wasn't me, it's a misunderstanding. He's crying out for help. And, uh, you know, this is really creating some, some, some tension, some movement up in Milwaukee. So these are the two major things um, that's going on in our neck of the woods. Uh, thank you, Brother Sabu. Hey, I'd like to interrupt. I'm sorry? Uh, there's an individual, 9072. Would you identify yourself, please, for Africa on the move? 9072. Do you have a, a question or, or or a comment, 9072? This is Eleanor Johnson. I had a problem with uh, getting through to you earlier this evening. Um, good evening, Brother Haki, and to um, all the analysts this evening. I just joined the program and, and just happy to be here uh, this evening. Thank you. So, Sister Eleanor, now that we got you, thanks for joining us. Um, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, <laughs> there is a, a great deal going on. We see that uh, Trump is uh, creating uh, more than hyperbole. Uh, he seems to... The, the upcoming midterms are really shaping up around who is believing the lie. He's run Republicans against even incumbent Republicans just based on who believes the lie. In addition, um, we see all this mass voter suppression laws that have passed over the last two years, and we're concerned about the impact it's having in Georgia, Texas, Louisiana, other states. And um, 
that's about it. And I'm speaking to you actually this evening from the emergency room uh, or from the Howard University Hospital. So I'm just um, thankful to be here and um, enjoying the show. Well, thank you for joining us, Sister uh, Sister Eleanor. We really appreciate your commitment to Africa on the Move. Uh, prior to taking a break, let me just indicate that for anyone who have a question or a statement, they can contact us at area code 323-679-0841. That's 679-0841, area code 323. Having said that, we'll take a, a cultural break, and we'll be right back.
chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, last through my journey. To get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been. And made it through my journey, yeah. And made it through my journey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters. Welcome back. You back to Africa. Welcome back to Africa on the Move. Uh, I have a very, I have a somewhat a, a problematic question for the panelists, but certainly it's paradoxical because one of the things you know when we when we think about the propensity for those for conservative individuals to engage in a certain amount of um, um, projection, they continue to persist that everyone else is guilty of some type of. Um, uh, some type of uh, uh, infraction, some type of horrible thing, but we have a very difficult time in terms of acknowledging uh, the, the kind of uh, a bad, the kind of bad immoral things done by the West. You know, recently uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, uh, there was a uh, there was an article, it was a very interesting article, in which Rudy Giuliani, a friend of uh, associate of, of, of Donald Trump. He engaged in historical revisionism. It's very, very interesting in terms of, you know, just this tendency in terms of the right want to vanquish, uh, you know, teaching American history from a objective point of view. But in any event, this revisionism that uh, Julie, Julian engaged in concerned Christopher Columbus. His position was that Christopher Columbus did not engage in atrocities against indigenous people. In fact, his position is that when Columbus came to, came to America, which he thought was India, but when he got to America, his position was that, you know, uh, you know, he felt sorry for the people that they were savages, that they scalped each other, they fought each other, and it was horrible. And uh, they had no recognition in terms of a state, that they just existed in a way in which is, is what we would call in the 21st century uh, almost a third world. Uh, so, so, so clearly he's, uh, he's um, denigrating uh, the indigenous population here in North America. But my question to you, Brother Africa, you know, my question is this: This question turns projection. Why is it that among so many conservatives, they can find fault with everybody? They can characterize everybody as somehow being being less than less than the effective or less than the humane. 
But when it comes to their own actions, there seems to be some deficit in terms of being able to account for the kind of bad, horrible things that the West engages in. Your response to that question, Brother Anthony? Certainly. Uh, well, first of all, uh, let's see, the the conservatives, uh, you know, depend upon people's ignorance of their history, of their own history, uh, to perpetuate uh, these lies. For example, uh, the indigenous people did not, did not start uh you know scalping that was that was some practice started by the European settler colonialists. They're the ones that uh started scalping heads as a method of torture and also to keep track of the indigenous people that they killed. That was how that started and uh and actually uh uh let's see the uh the land of the indigenous people turtle island is kind of vast so uh you know just as there was in africa there is uneven development there were people at different levels of uh cultural and uh economic development in the in the western hemisphere as there was in africa uh, in other words, uh, that that uh, the, there were some some uh, cultural groups that uh, that did uh, that did engage in feudalism. Others engaged in communalism. It wasn't uh, it wasn't that uh, uh, you know that this notion of backwardsness has to, has has to be gotten rid of. In other words, uh, people did, uh, developed according uh, to the needs that were prescripted by the nature of the land in which they lived. And uh, that's why some people developed at, at, at different rates than others, so to speak. But uh, but the thing about it, though, but I mean, uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, torture and savagery, uh, that was bought by uh, the European settler colonialists, which is not to say that the indigenous people did not have problems in their own land prior to the European coming. I'm pretty sure they did. All people do. You know, but they had mechanisms in place for dealing with their problems. And uh, nothing that went on could justify uh, the, savagery and, the savagery and attacks that were visited upon them by the arrival of uh, Columbus and uh, his crew. You know, you know. Thank you, brother Anthony. You know, brother Moses. Interestingly, you know, when when the Julian is defined the indigenous population as uncivilized, it's very, very interesting. He, but of course, he didn't take in consideration the U.S. history. When you think about Europe, the European continent, you know, between 1450 and 14th century to 18th century, uh, the continent, the European continent, was involved in a minimum of 22 major wars. 
not to include the Spanish Inquisition between the years of, you know, 1200 to 1834 or the Crusades of 1096 to 1291. So the European continent has a long, long litany of, of, of wars that have been waged on that continent. And for Yulon to say that somehow uh, this propensity in terms of violence is unique among indigenous population is hypocritical. Now, how do you respond to someone who just negates the history you know, of an entire continent and then blame others, you know, for being violent? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think Roxanne Dama Ortiz, The Indigenous People's History of the United States, is a pretty good book. Uh, covers a little history there. And uh, when you back a people into a corner and by shooting, killing, and and raping, and and you try to restrict them to a reservation, uh, um, um, you you do all these atrocities, this basic genocide uh, to expropriate their land. Uh, I mean, there's this. We can't even begin to talk about civilization and 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 values and, and morality and ethics and uh, you know equal rights and fair play. I mean, we can't even begin to talk about it until we get we get some kind of uh, sound, dialectical, historical, materialist-based understanding of history and how we got to where we are today. Um, um, they, they practically extinguished the Cherokee people uh, uh, I mean, I, it's, uh, uh, civilization. What civilization? I mean, what we talk about uh, lifestyles uh, and call that civilization, uh, but uh, I don't see it. I, I, the values, uh, uh, the earthly values, uh, we should never lose touch with with Mother Earth and uh, and what what her needs are. And uh, we we you know we we've got a lot to learn from the Native American people. Um, that's that we should have come here and 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 been learning. Or then when they came, they should have been learning. And, uh, but they didn't come to learn. They came to to teach. And uh, and uh, and this is the lesson we've learned. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Brother Moses. Our brother Sabukwe, you know, interestingly enough, the history is very clear on uh, Columbus' role in terms of contributing to the slave trade. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, Columbus, along with the teachings of the Catholic Church, were instrumental in authorizing uh, slavery, you know, as, as an institution. And given that reality, you know, when you stop and think about people on the right willing, you know, desire to have to end an objective understanding of American history, the question becomes, why would they want to objectively destroy any teaching of American history? What is the benefit to those on the right in terms of destroying objective understanding of American history? The, the benefit is to keep us oppressed, to keep us not free, to keep from a revolution becoming successful uh, here in the hells of America, K-K-K-A. Um, that's, 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 the, that's the big benefit. This is why, you know, they don't want they don't they don't want the masses to continue to um learn the truth and see we 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 talk a lot on on these platforms about all of the challenges 
that's going on, like like you stated earlier, what's going on in, in the nick of the, in the nick of our, our woods, and a lot of that stuff that's going on is mostly negativity. But we rarely, and it could be good and bad, that we rarely don't um, speak about the wins or about the success that we're having. And they notice, you know, the success. They, as in uh, people in power, they notice. Okay, hold on, they're getting stronger in this area, uh, in this. And this area right here, it's a lot about, it's a lot of socialism going on. It's a lot of, they see the socialist platforms going on blog talk, radio, on YouTube. Uh, they see the events that's growing, uh, Congo Week, like we speak about. Uh, and not only Congo Week, they take everything we created and try to water it down. African Liberation Day itself. They took that and made African Africa Day or something, and it was just a bunch of buffoon, you know, not buffoonery, but it's a bunch of watered down bullshit about music, the culture aspect, food, music, and dress. Nothing political about it, and they just took it and commercialized it. I think they had the Roots, the band, and no knock to the Roots, Questlove, and them. I love those guys. I love their music, but I think uh, they was kind of kind of used. For, for the capitalist benefit to to exploit uh, something we created, it's not a damn you know a holiday. It's, 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 it's a tool to get the people organized, to get our, the masses of African people organized, and uh, and they see that. And you know, so when we talk about taking uh or doing race critical theory, some some BS, they they doing that because they see uh, that. That we are as Pan Africanists, we are we are struck in the court. They see the seeds of Kwame Ture, Kwame Nkrumah, Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, Sekou uh, Ahmed Ture, they uh, Patrice Lumumba. They see all of this. You know, they see Nat Turner. They see uh, all of this, all of this uh, 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 movement, if you will, taking place. And it's not, and I say this, and it's not, uh, not only, not, 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 not only that, they also see the, 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 the response to 2020, right? COVID-19 killing, uh, majority of African people, uh, uh, the day-to-day police killings, uh, the day-to-day deaths of African people, the day-to-day struggles when we talk about employment, right? A lot of us is homeless more than ever right now. Uh, uh, stemming but prior to COVID-19, but COVID-19, 2020, uh, ex- exacerbated that. It, you know what I'm saying? It it put it engulfed the flame, if you will. So they seen, you know, us, the the the, uh, the ongoing uprisings and the ongoing uprisings, and they see the response. Same thing with that. They seen us um, getting getting momentum uh, with the with the uprising in a sense, and that's when they. You know they kind of change their attention to symbols, right? Knocking down the statues. They change their attention to doing the uh, electric slides, to doing land dances uh, around Confederate uh, uh, statues or Confederate symbols, right? But you know, and they seen they also seen Christopher Columbus, right? Statue being pulled down. They seen uh, King Leopold statues being pulled down across the world and other colonialist statues, right? They seen that. So they, you know, they, 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 they was like, hold on, we got to put something in place. We gotta, we gotta try to push this, push this back, man, because it's, it's gaining traction. So they see it, 
they see uh they see us they see they see some of us um they see the work that we're doing all of all of the workers uh they're doing from the theory point of view and from the actual point of view they see both of it and they see uh they see our positivity sometimes more than we see uh the fruits of our, our work and labor and, and in regards to political work so they 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 know that that's why they say hold on man we got to we got to do something we and one of the ways, and they understand that, uh, as Malcolm X say, the children is our future. You hold the children back, never prolong the capitalist future. So I, I, I conclude with that. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brother Sabukwe. Sister Eleanor, uh, Brother Sabukwe raises a very interesting um, uh, component in terms of this whole struggle around teaching American history from an objective point of view. And the thing is that one of the things Brother Brother Bukri alluded to, he he talked about the fact that progressive ideas or this push toward progressivism in society is perhaps received as an existential threat by the right. And my question to you is very, very simple, Sister Eleanor. If in fact progressive ideas are a threat to to to, to the right, the question becomes why would there be a threat to the right? Maybe you can explain, Sister Eleanor. Well, just as uh Brother Anthony uh stated um, there's been so much misinformation in terms of history. For example, scalping. And long before the Europeans fought scalping, they were literally taking the breasts of indigenous women to make gunpowder uh, pouches. And uh, when they arrived here, they were um, greeted by uh, the heads of state who were women. And they were very organized, welcoming people. And we incorporate in um, U.S. culture architecturally as well as aesthetically, just as we utilize African-American garb and it's the vanguard of high fashion. So is the indigenous uh, wear, Uh, the fedora. Uh, that you see the Europeans wearing, that was a part of indigenous culture. You see um, the longhouse. These are these ramblers that you see with the, now with the basement and one floor house. So we see the architecture. We live amongst the uh, indigenous people and their great gifts to us. Our government, our U.S. government is patterned. Uh, in some ways um, uh, around indigenous government. Now, uh, this whole concept of a republic. So to answer your question, um, Brother Haiki, we don't, um, This the country doesn't want the truth to be known. Donald Trump is making a success out of pushing a big lie. It's a type of brainwashing social media is being utilized to uh, push this kind of propaganda. And right now, the only people being victimized are uh, people of color, African-Americans, Asians. Um, uh, Also, we see Jewish people being attacked, Hispanic children in, in elementary school. These are the people that are losing their lives and suffering. So, and as brother, uh, the brother said about the COVID virus, in this country almost a million people died. But who died? 
black people, African people. And now the Africans will tell you because they are new here that, uh, oh, that's a black problem. So I just want to discuss it as African-Americans suffered uh, huge fatalities from COVID. So did the elderly. So did persons who were institutionalized whether in nursing homes, group homes, or even being cared for in their own homes. So we see that there seems to be some type of uh, purging of, 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 of the population, but also of information. We had just gotten to a point where scholars had really broken down um, U.S. history, North American, South American history, and people uh, and and the right doesn't want anyone to be aware of it. Long before the Europeans came to America, the indigenous people were trading with the people of Africa. James Van Sternemer uh, talks about it, and they came before Columbus. So. They wanted to act as if, the right wants to act as if nothing positive was happening in the new world, as it's called, before they arrived. But in fact, um, they came here and learned so much. Um, the zero is an, uh, 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 a mathematical term that we use all the time. It's an indigenous phenomena. It, it is not a Western phenomena. So it's a matter of um, wanting to marginalize folks, and the only way you can do that, Brother Haiki, is to keep the truth away from them. And they also pretend that children, little elementary school children, are learning all kinds of things about government, this and that. And that's not what you learn in grades pre-K through 8. You learn math, reading, science. You learn geography. You learn the appearance of flags, uh, state flags, national flags. You don't learn uh, uh, about uh, uh, voters' rights per se. And now they're trying to take voters' rights away and act as if this isn't something essential. I know many African people who have never voted, and they don't realize that they're feeding into the right agenda when they do not. So we need to wake up and realize that the reason no one wants to deal with an inclusive identity, uh, an inclusive agenda of, of U.S. history or world history is simply to keep the oppressed oppressed and to keep the the people confused. And this is a very dangerous thing at this time in U.S. history because we are 
we have a very large immigrant population, and it's very important that they learn true U.S. history. And that includes the history of indigenous people as well as Africans and their great contribution to the construction of this land. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You know, one final question, not to believe at this point, but I think I want to get your response on this just sort of as a follow-up. But implicit, but, you know, implicit in Giuliani's statement is a justification for genocide of indigenous people. In the article, you make a statement about the, the indigenous people being too kind and too sharing. For most people, that is a very, very positive thing. But in the context of Giuliani, what he's implying is that the fact they're kind and sharing means that they are weak. So my question to the panelists is that, does that what are the implications for today, specifically the African community? If we're perceived as kind and spiritual, do you, do you think it opens the door for more abuse subsequently, uh, much uh, 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 massive destruction or destruction on a mass, massive scale? And I'll start with you, Brother Anthony. Uh, it could, but... Uh, let's see, there's an old saying in our community that the truth shall make you free. And I think uh, and I think we owe it to our people, especially to our youth, to teach the truth as much as possible. Uh, our true history, our true cultural values, and not to attribute those to merely only Europeans only but also to uh, uh, also to to teach us the truth about our history about our value system and uh, Africans were being awakened to that and that is why there's this offensive against uh, teaching the truth of uh, U.S. history uh, is an attack upon our cultural values, another form of attack to keep us subjugated. And, uh, and uh, you know, and as long as uh, there are forces out there amongst us that are determined uh, to, to see ourselves free, that will not work. Uh, but it's a but it's a very difficult task. There's a lot of work ahead of us, and uh, we have to be the ones that sift through the lies that are being per, 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 perpetrated as truth, uh, you know, to our people. And uh, we have to teach uh, our people, especially our youth our true history so that they can carry on uh, the fight for our freedom. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Uh, Brother Moses, uh, is it possible that people who are perceived as kind or charitable, is it possible they may be perceived as weak in the context of capitalist society? And if that's the situation, uh, how does that bowl, uh, 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 how does that uh, affect potentially, uh, how the African community is perceived by people on the right. Your response? Well, I think, you know, like um, the 
qualities of, of uh, altruism, uh, selflessness, and um, the, the, um, the compassion and empathy and this kind of uh, charity and love, all these values are, are not what, what um, per- manifests from the capitalists. Um, that's not what, that's not, uh, I'm sure they have their loved ones, uh, um, but, but, you know, they're less sucking off society. And, um, and so, you know, I, we don't expect, uh, uh, um, philanthropy, um, uh, some kind of PR, public relations stunt, um, but uh, the capitalist, you know, is this uh, a fair, what is it, a fair day's pay for a fair day's work, and then you exploit it, uh, uh, and they feel like they've done something for you by hiring you, they, they, that's what their contribution is, they say jobs, they're, they're more concerned about jobs and uh and so, you know, they want to keep these war plants going and, and the war machine going uh, um, in order to preserve jobs. And so we're always in a war. Um, it's, I don't know, the, the compassion is just not, it's, it's, you know, fascism, you know, the historical experience of the lessons on the, on the war against fascism is summed up by the Communist Party of China showed that fascism you know, you could you you. The mistake was a process of appeasement, of uh, of, um, of 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 giving in and um, going along with with the fascists. Um, um, that was the wrong. You had to have a tit for tat struggle against fascism, and uh, and um, and uh, so you know, people. Uh, the fascists will take advantage of your humanity is what I'm trying to say. And basically, you know, we can't lose our humanity, but we got to recognize that that's what's going on. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Sabukwe, you know, the, you know, values like altruism, compassion, concern, empathy, those kind of things tend to rub uh, capitalists the wrong way. In other words, they see, you know, life as rough and tumble. You know, you take what you want, that kind of thing. So for those individuals who are not willing to engage in uh, the rough-and-tumble uh, existence and what you take what you want, that you exploit, you manipulate, you deceive, you do whatever you have to do in order to gain, if those people don't embrace that kind of mindset, is the possibility that those on the right or the capitalists perceive them as being weak? That's a very interesting question, Brother uh, Haki, because <laughs> that's a very interesting one. Um I say this, the capitalists embrace taking what they want among themselves. They can take what they want. They they uh they embrace uh the working class people or the lump and proletarian taking what they want when it benefits them, meaning when they prisons, you know, we take uh, taking what they want in uh let me say in 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 the, in the sense that 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 benefits the capitalists, robbing a bank. Uh Stealing from a store, if you will, um, committing a crime, you know, taking what you want in that sense. And what they do, they com- they they could they they commit the ultimate crime against hum- hum- uh, humanity, taking stealing people land, labor, wealth, livelihood, taking it for a joke. Um, so yes, that's that's 
that's that's that's their uh that's their that's their um, model, man. And yes, if they look at uh any of their um uh fellow congressmen or fellow politicians not taking what they want, they do look at them as a weak person. They do look at them like, Oh, you gotta put more pressure on such and such. Uh you think if Obama didn't agree to going into Libya, they would they was already uh Looking, looking at him weak anyhow, because of his my my view of his you know his uh his his skin you know the race of his he's Af you know he was a Afri- African origin if you will um his, his father was from the continent so they was already you know had that bias against him I say that because he I mean it's, it's, it's undoubtedly he what what side he was on we we already seen you know he's a he's stone cold uh, capitalist we understand that but. If he didn't go into Libya, they would have definitely, um, hey, man, you weak. You didn't go into Libya and kill, you know, put out the hit or carry out the hit against Gaddafi, blase, blase, right? So, yes, to answer your question, Brother uh, Haki, yes, they do look at their fellow uh, their fellow uh, peers, if you will, or their fellow politicians or capitalists as weak if they don't put pressure on you know, stealing the land or or stealing, uh, you know, labor, like you said, taking what they want. Yeah, but but you know, it's okay for them to, for them to do that. And like I said, it's okay for us to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps or you know, um, to have this uh, go get it attitude, to be competitive, survival of the fittest, all this terminology, right? But when we talk about taking what we deserve in revolutionary time, uh, uh, terms. Oh hell no! That's when they coming on. You know, that's, they're definitely not. That's that we don't. That's not what they mean by taking what they want, taking what you want in the revolutionary times, uh, revolutionary terms. But it's not about uh, in the revolutionary sense. We're not taking what we want. We're taking what is deserved to us. What we built, what we created, what we developed, what we cultivated, and what was stolen from us. We're taking what is owed to us. So that's the difference. Okay, thank you, Brother Sabukwe. Sister, Sister Eleanor, Risa Finkley, uh, the, does the perception of being weak, weak uh, handicapped African community, do you think that's a problem? Your, your response. I don't think it weakens. Uh, uh, I don't think we're seen as being weak. Um, there's a constant projection of us being many things, but weak isn't that. Dangerous, uh, uneducated, uh, you know, there are many stereotypes, but weak isn't one of them. Um, The reality is, though, we are a welcoming, gentle people, and many persons um, making a new home in the United States for decades found themselves um, living amongst uh, the African people, the uh, descendant of the slaves and indigenous people. Um, they weren't welcomed into white neighborhoods. Um, so no, I don't I don't think we're we're seen as being uh, weak. Okay, so Eleanor, thank you for your response. I think we have seen as as uh, being um, un, 
a, a problem, but certainly not weak. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We have a caller uh, on the line, caller 6103. Your comment or your statement? Caller 6103. Your caller, your comment or statement? I guess not. I guess the, I guess the uh, callers just want to listen. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, before we go to the next to the, to the next topic, we're going to take a section break, and uh, after this cultural break, uh, we'll return. I'll ask a question pertaining to national security. I'm very interested in what the panel panelists has to say in terms of uh, specific concerns around national security. So we'll be right back after this cultural break. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can comprehend You know we've got to find a way To bring some love and kiss here today Pick it light and pick it fast Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see Right on. 
Welcome back to Africa Africa on the Move. Just to reiterate, those who have any questions, please give us a call at 323-679-5433. 
888-646-0841. And don't forget to push number one. We acknowledge your last four numbers, and we'll take your call. Now, my next question, uh, you know, um, to the panel, uh, panelists, uh, it involves national security. You know, one of the things, you know, we, when we think about the technological political changes that are taking place in society, none of it seems to bode well for the existence of humanity. And that, is, that in itself is very, very uh, unfortunate. But certainly one of the things, so last April, April of last year, there was a reporter by the name of James Gordon Meek uh, who was picked up in Arlington, Virginia, by the FBI. And he's totally, he they, they totally uh, made him disappear. Uh, no one knows where he's at, what's happening to him, or anything. All they know is that he was picked up by the FBI and local police officials. Now, my question to you, uh, brother, uh, brother, uh, brother Moses, and we start with brother Moses, is you know, uh, given you know this occurrence in terms of uh, you know the the FBI picking up people, you know, without charges, uh, you know. Uh, you know, without a child, and you just make them ghost, just ghost them. The mere fact that they can do that, does that pose a, a existential threat uh, to the existence of people in the political world who like to see a more a more humane society? Certainly, certainly, certainly. Uh, um, this kind of black ops uh, operations, um, I don't know, these unmarked cars and all this scandalous um, stuff that the uh, intelligence community, I, I would say, in some sense, but it's the FBI and supposedly the CIA don't don't work it within within the country, but um, but obviously there's a lot of information sharing going on, and uh, and they 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 target people uh, for whatever they seem to be injustice in their eyes and uh, and then they they evidently have no rules to the to gain the end justifies the mean. I guess they do whatever they want to and uh and hopefully they, the when they get to court they'll be found innocent and uh just standard operating procedures. Uh, but yeah this they learn from uh they train for the um, what is it, the organization, the School of Americas, and uh, and uh, and they use these things in the, in the Latin American countries, and uh, and then they bring them home to the U.S. and use them here, and uh, you know, uh, uh, I think Trump Trump is the is is, is right up his alley. I'll leave it right there, though. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Sabukwe, you know, what is ironic about, you know, you know them picking him up like that surreptitiously? It's a fact that when you – it was alleged that, in fact, he had some um, in, in intelligence uh, information, some classified information on his computer. But the problem is, historically, as a national security investigative journalist, he always dealt with classified information on his computers. So having that information on his computers is nothing new. So what do you sus- suspect? It's a real motivation in terms of picking him up, you know, without charges, without a trial at this point in time. What do you think is the government's motivation in terms of doing it at this point in time? Well, this is really literally off of idealism, off of assumption at this point. I honestly really did not uh, did my full thorough research 
of of this uh, situation. But what I can what I can what I can evaluate off of past uh, history and past realities uh, dealing with these people is that, and and also with some facts that that transpire. Right, Steve Bannon, he was sentenced to only what four months in prison, a slap in the wrist. Right. So exactly. So the thing that the only thing that I can gather from this is that Donald Trump, uh, his uh, ego, if you will, got the best of him, and he really did piss off some people uh, in the White House. Um, some of the some of some of his fellow um, uh, fellow you know uh, politicians, fellow devils, enemies, however you want to frame this, um, he definitely got in, got under the skin. Of somebody, you know, and they just try to, you know, I guess make an example of him, if you will, um, on that level, and just, you know, um, on 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 that level, meaning like he's not really going to do any jail time. He's not. Come on, man. He's not really. I don't see anything really, um, really transpire from from this, but a bunch of uh, entertainment, and you know, from from what we're going to get out of it is entertainment, and he's going to. Continue moving. I think uh, the Democratic Party is really, uh, or, you know, trying to um, prevent him from running again. And uh, you know, all of this is going to do is create, create, uh, you know, create another person worse than Trump on his level to run uh, on his policies, on on, on his uh, similarity. So, you know, but this, that's that's the best. This is my best construct of response. Uh, to, uh, to your question, but uh, you know, after seeing this, this Steve Bannon get four months in prison, you know, I'm like, hmm. yeah, you know, uh, I take it serious when they commit suicide. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, brother Sabukwe. Sister Eleanor, you know, interestingly enough, this journalist James Gordon Meek, uh, you know, he was responsible for disclosing, you know, the fact that four U.S. Special Services members were killed in Nigeria. He also disclosed that there was an ambush of four Green Berets by ISIS in the Middle East. He also talked about the friendly fire of a, a private Jane Sherrett. Uh These are relatively, you know, innocuous, very small issues compared to what what the uh, um, uh, the, um, the, the the former computer analyst in, currently living in Russia. I forgot his name. His name skips my skips my memory. Um, I can't believe I can't think of his name. Snowden. Snowden, right. Thank you very much. Yes, Snowden. But the information that he conveyed in terms of, you know, uh, that was so-called classified pales in comparison to the information that was disclosed by Snowden. So my question to you, Sister Eleanor, is that given this this information that he disclosed, it's not really major. What do you think would be the government's justification for going after him anyway? Is it potentially because he has the capacity to inform people on much greater information? What do you think is the government's motivation in terms of going after him for such uh, innocuous kinds of information? I think it was just to make an example of him and letting uh, journals know uh, that there are limitations and that uh, that I think it's just to let journals know that there are limitations and we do not have uh, freedom of uh, uh, the journalists are not free. We're treating journalism as if it's a crime in this country right now. 
we we see it with uh, Julian Assange, uh, and as you said, Snowden is living in exile in in Russia, uh, just to have some uh, to to be free, because he's not able to live peaceably in in, in his homeland. So I think it's a matter of control, and we control by example. And did you say this was an African? No, 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 Southern James Gordon Meeks. No, no, James Gordon Meeks. No, he's 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 he's, he's a European. He's 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 white. Mhm. Okay. So it's just about make an example of him. Okay. All right, thank you, Sister Eleanor. Uh, let me go to Brother Anthony. You know, you know Brother Anthony, I, I, I want you to uh, dig deep for this one because this is a very interesting, um, a very interesting paradox. Specifically, when we talk about living in a society that's free, but certainly when you look at terms of the things, the politics that take place behind closed doors, it indicates we're anything but free. Now, ac- now according to um, you know, according to historical record, under George Bush, the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, was codified uh, to ensure that people could be uh, picked up worldwide, be put in detention without trial or without charges indefinitely. This 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 National Defense Action National Defense Authorization Act was uh, uh, was uh, resubmitted by December 31st of 2011 by President Obama, who codified again that indefinite indefinite military detention without charges or trial is legal. Now, when you think about these these policies that are, are face on their face, it's, it's very illegal, and but yet they they have legitimacy in 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 the, in the eyes of the government uh, bureaucracy. When you think about the legitimacy of something that's essentially illegitimate, or something that's simply you know unfair or or or, or illegal, when you think about the fact that they legitimately exist as policy. What what does that mean in terms of the overall? Uh, 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 what does that mean for 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 the uh, the the uh, the, um, the the uh, possibility of, a, of of impact on the on on people who just in the political world who are very vehement in terms of their desire to see political change in society? So my question is, you know, do you think that given these National Defense Opposition Act, those are both well for political expression, or do you think? That there is some other way, perhaps, that we can look at in terms of, you know, the, this particular policy. I I don't think it bodes well for those people that have dissenting political views. In other words, in other words, those people that have political views that are not in line with those of the ruling class. And, uh, you know, and I think it's uh, a sign of of harder times to come uh, for those people that express those those type of views. Because, uh, let's see, um, a lot of times people think of the arbitrary seizure of journalists only happens in other countries like uh uh you know neocolonial states like uh venice uh uh you know venezuela uh colombia etc or that are trying to free, free themselves from neocolonialism 
but can happen anywhere where capitalism is dominant. And uh, and that's the major danger I see. And that is why it is important uh, for people to belong to political organizations. Uh, if for no other reason than to have someone that will look out for your interests in case you become unable to do so. And uh, and also, uh, not only an independent political organization, but one that is guided by revolutionary ideology. Uh, that's critically important because, uh, you know, as the resistance of capitalism uh, intensifies, so does uh, capitalism's efforts to survive. Those also intensify and uh, become more repressive in uh, neocolonial and capitalist societies. So I think uh, so. I think it becomes uh, you know I think the uh, the case of sight uh, you know is an example of the importance of belonging to a political organization. Oh, thank you, Brother Anthony. So I guess to sum up what you're saying is that ideas essentially becomes a threat to democracy. Uh, so clearly, you know, we got our work cut off us in terms of trying to bring about legitimate change in society because it won't be easy. And for those who think it will be easy, perhaps this article dispels this notion that, in fact, that bringing about change is going to be an easy thing. Uh, and, and, and But in addition to that, I think it should be, should be pointed out, Change is never easy. Uh, so there is no pragmatism associated with thinking about change in society. Change happens one way or another. Uh, either you in control of that change and to minimize casualties, or you become a victim of that change and you be- and you become a casualty. So it's, there's no there's no easy solution in terms of thinking about change. Having said that, we can take a quick station, cultural break, and when we come back, we're going to be with a final section, uh, uh, a final question uh, for the panelists, and uh, stay tuned. Uh, We'll be right back. Make the baby, that's just a man. 
Hey, yo. I remember Marvin Gaye used to sing to me. He had me feeling like black was the thing to be. And suddenly the kettle didn't seem so tough. And though we had it rough, we always had enough. Off the buff about my curse, you were broke the roof. Run with the local crew and had a smoke or two. I realized mama really paid the price. She nearly gave her life. Sister Susie. Okay, our final, our final, our final uh, article before we go to the closing statements. And I'll start with uh, Brother Sabukwe. Uh, you know, Brother Sabukwe, some interesting news came about here recently. You know, five states plan to put on a ballot an end to forced slavery. Uh, of course, when we talk about forced slavery, we're talking about essentially the 13th Amendment. Uh, the 13th Amendment says that slavery is legal as long as individuals incarcerated. So we got five states want to put on the ballot uh, an end to an end to you know forced slavery inside these penal institutions. Now my question to you, uh, Brother Sabukwe, uh, you know, do you think? Well, first of all, one of the things that in terms of this particular amendment, in order to ratify, to change this amendment, it takes two three, two thirds of the states to change that amendment. So my question to you, Brother Sabukwe, do you think uh, this 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 uh, this uh, this idea has any potential chance of actually uh, uh, achieving uh, achieving what it seeks to achieve? Uh, <laughs> I think that's a uh, kind, kind of, uh, if we understand slavery co- correctly, 
and what it is. And I guess, I guess we do have different types of slavery. Um, you know, like uh, um, during the 1600s when we got here, we had slavery that had, you know, we was on the plantation. Uh, we were getting lynched, and in some instances, we still are getting lynched. Um, if if you will, we still are getting lynched, and we still are getting, we still are oppressed. Um, we're not, we have the luxury, if you will, some of us anyhow have the luxury to, to, uh, to have a home, um, to sleep in a bed, to watch, uh, television, to get up, I guess, when you want to, if you, if you don't have a job or, you know, you understand what I'm saying? You, you have more control, uh, more, more, more control of, of your due diligence on how you proceed throughout life. But as for as for passing the law of, of no forced slavery, that the only can the only thing that's gonna end that is when uh capitalism and and when uh these uh jail systems do not exist anymore and has been revamped to really do what they was quote unquote on paper intended to do, uh to correct the behavior and to uh, redevelop the individual uh, who committed the crime to a well-productive, quote-unquote, citizen. That's what the, that's what the goals of a correctional uh, facility is to correct the behavior of of a criminal. And you cannot correct a uh, behavior of a, of a um, criminal if they. If they have mental health, if they've been exploited themselves, if they are victim themselves, it's, it's, it's criminal to call them a criminal. If they is, is dealing with what they have been given, the trauma they have been given, and uh, you know most of the people, ninety percent, I just say this, ninety percent of the jails uh, have people in there who have been who 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 dealt, dealt with trauma, or who have been wrongly accused, and I'm and I'm, I'm not trying to take uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to take um, take the light off of real criminals, but we already know that people that that kill people on footage, right? Hint, hint. People who kill uh, certain people on footage, they don't get locked up, right? They get a sl- they get free. They walk off free. Um, evidence on camera shows them killing or beating the hell out of out of a person, uh, but they still get off free. The real criminal, like we just uh, spoke, speak about, they get a slap on a wrist. Uh, Steve Bannon, slap on a wrist. Uh, George Zimmerman, slap on a wrist. He ain't get locked up. You know what I'm saying? And he's making more money off of Skittles and tea more than ever, but more than the convenience, your local convenience store. But anyhow, I digress, and I think um, I made my point clear, but, you know, I understand that effort um, to – Target, I guess, human trafficking uh, and, and, and uh, forced slavery. But huh, until until they look until they look uh, they self in the mirror and correct the ongoing slavery that they're committing committing on us and people around the world, it's a facade. Thank you, brother Haki. Uh, thank you, brother Sabukwe. Sister Eleanor, you know one of the one of the real struggles they're going to uh, have to contend with, at least acknowledge, is that you have a lot of very conservative individuals on the Supreme Court and on the Federal Circuit. 
uh, who are who are originalists. In other words, they literally interpreted the Constitution like it was, you know, as it was first created. And so, therefore, there's no room in terms of you know uh, the you know defining you know these amendments in a way other than the way in which uh, the so-called founding fathers had intended. So, what extent do you think, in this question, in terms of originalism, uh, is going to interfere with their, uh, with the, with these activists' attempt, you know, to to pass a measure which essentially ends, you know, forced slavery in prisons? Well, uh, quite frankly, I I think that uh, the prison industrial complex wasn't a part of uh, 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 the original Constitution. But I think these people, more than anything, are, they call them originalists, and I understand the concept, but they are uh, fascists. And the reality is is that um, the prison industrial complexes I think it's a good move. It'll take uh, uh, effort. But look what we've seen happen around the issue of abortion as well as around uh, voters, uh, voter repression in just 24 months. So wherever there is action and there is commitment, you will see change. And I think the fact that five states are willing to um, um, free prisoners from slavery, um, uh, that is a a step in the right direction. It is a reform, uh, but it's in the right direction. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Brother Anthony, now, you know, if those five states succeed in terms of getting this measure passed on a ballot, they still have a challenge to overcome because they got to convince two-thirds of the states uh, that uh, changing the 13th Amendment is worth it. What are some of the challenges they face in terms of trying to get, you know, 13, I mean, 60% of the states to actually uh, reform the 13th Amendment? What challenges do they face? Uh, they... Uh they face challenges from uh, from the uh, right wing conservatives forces who believe that uh, uh, who, who, who to to trust fully in the police forces uh, that police the society. For one, you have the police and uh, their unions. As and uh, you know and uh, various other forces, so that's the difficulty in terms of uh, uh, getting uh, the legislation implemented if it is passed by the five states. And uh, let's see, and uh, it, it is going to be an uphill battle given the political climate in this society. And, uh, but, um, you know, but I think it would be a, be a, a, a good idea to really eradicate uh, slavery once and for all if it does pass. 
but uh you know it's gonna it's gonna take a tremendous amount of political work to get that done but uh every reform that has ever been passed in this society has required the shedding of blood, as Kwame Ture pointed out. And uh, in most other societies, uh, people shed blood for genuine revolutionary change. We're the only people that have had to shed blood for reform. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, you know, so it is uh, an uphill battle, but it's going to take work and organization and a correct presentation of our history so that, uh, you know, that our youth and the generations behind them are aware of what they're up against. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Well, well, well done. I want to thank the panelists for a job well done, and we'll start with our closing statements. First, we'll start with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your closing statements. Okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I think um, I was going to, let's see. We, mm, I'm not sure where I want to go on this. Uh, and I have to walk around and get there. It's, this has been and, an interesting uh, show. I, I I can't think of anything. I, I, I don't want to hold up the show. Thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, Brother Sabukwe, your closing statements, Brother Sabukwe. Yes, yes. I want to thank you, Brother Anthony. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Brother Haki, for doing a wonderful job uh, filling in for Brother Africa. Uh, I miss Brother Africa. I miss being on the show, and it was a pleasure uh, for me being here tonight. Thank you for having me here, and thank you for a wonderful show. Um, I always learn something new uh, when I come on this platform or when I listen in on, into this platform. But thank you so much for the panel and for all the listeners out there for tuning in to Africa on the Move. Like uh, brother Africa always say, we're gonna we're gonna take the heat. <laughs> I can't I can't say it like he he do it, but <laughs> and we're gonna stand we're gonna stand behind it. But thank you so much, thank you. <laughs> yeah, brother brother Sabuco, he'll be back uh, next week. Next, we'll go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final statement, please. <laughs> Um, I'd just like to say thank you and, and, and good night, and thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's show. Uh, thank you for your participation, Sister Eleanor. And lastly, we'll go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final statement. Yes. Uh, let's see, as I, uh, as I said earlier, uh, all Africans need to join a political organization that is working for the people's liberation. Uh, one such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, 
You can find out more about our uh, objective and program by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And thank you for allowing me to be on the show tonight. And thank you for uh, uh, for the uh, uh, panelists and to the listening audience for making time this evening for this program. Uh, thank you for your participation, Brother Anthony. And I'm High Key, and I, again, I thank the panelists, and I thank the listening audience for listening to the, tonight's program. We'll see you next week, Sunday between 7 and 9 on Africa on the Move. Until then, have a great day. Peace. Thank you.